We are uh, coming up on our eighth anniversary as a church, uh, June 22nd of uh, 2002. We started New Life, and uh, I'm going to show you a little bit later a a video from that. We're going to show you a couple of videos, one this week, one next week, uh, about kind of the things that, that New Life has gone through. But one of the things we did six years ago was we made a DVD and uh, we, this was the intro to the DVD that we would hand out to our friends, and I think you'll think it's kind of funny. This was uh, Rachel six years ago and Wes six years ago. That one. Hi, I'm Rachel, and I help lead music at New Life Community Church. We have fun music, cool lessons, and drama. Wait a second. What are you doing? I'm telling them about our church. But you don't lead the music. I help lead the music. I'm talking about the kids' stuff, not the Boring? Do you think our band is boring? Do you think our videos are boring? Do you think our preacher is boring? No, Wes. I think you're boring. I am not. R2. Am not. R2. D2. Whatever, Wes. Click here if you want to find out about the cool kid stuff at New Life Community Church. Click up here if you want to find out about the boring stuff the grown-ups are doing. No, wait. It's not boring. Not boring. Click up here. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Boring stuff. It's cool. Would you get, get out of here? Would you click here? It's clicking up here. It's button time. It's button time. I think we're done. That was nice. That was nice. We actually did a series back in the day called um, Wes, and that stood for the White Entertainment Species, um, the best of Wes. Um, you can see why. We, we enjoy that. Good job, Wes. A couple of announcements. Uh, today we finish up our uh, Christianity 101 series, and we're going to have the Lord's Supper when we finish up here at the end. There's actually three places you can go, two up here at the front, one back at the back, and uh, I'll give you the instructions at the appropriate time there. Uh, we start a new series next week, and that is our Summer Blockbusters series. It's one of the most fun... Uh, series that we do every year. I enjoy it. We take movies, and, and next week we're looking at Liar, Liar, and I'll just let that, you know, that's enough of an intro. You just kind of use your imagination, and we'll uh, we'll attack each week. We'll look at portions of a film, and we'll talk about how that impacts our lives. We'll look at Scripture. Um, sometimes we will completely contradict what Hollywood is trying to say to us, and other times we'll say, look at this, Hollywood got it right, and here's what God's Word has to say. So we'll do that for uh, about eight weeks. We've got two months' worth of summer blockbusters doing things like um, Gladiator and Runaway Bride and Secondhand Lions, and then I forgot after that. A um, couple other things. We do have Class 101 Discovering Church Membership. That's next Sunday. Need you to sign up out here. We feed you lunch. If you have children, we take care of your kids. We feed them, and it takes uh, about an hour 15 minutes, hour and a half, right after service is over next Sunday. So if you're interested in that, please put your uh, name back there just so that we'll know how much food to get for that. Uh, there's a men's Bible study starting a week from tomorrow at the Gillis's house. That is uh, the study of the Song of Solomon. Uh, and then dinner and a movie. We're trying, there are 10 of us going to Haiti in October, and uh, we're trying to help some of those folks out that, that don't have um, all of the money. So Dinner in a movie is the 26th. That's a Saturday night. It's here. We uh, will feed you, and then you'll come in here. It'll be a sit-down meal. You'll be served. You'll come in here, watch a movie. If you have children, child care, it's all included in the cost. Just please sign up back there as well so we'll know about that. There is a girls' sleepover, teenagers' sleepover at, uh, I can't believe I remember that, Amanda, um, at Amanda's and James's house. No, sorry, at, at 
Rachel's house. I was just going to say, what are you doing? But you're, you're staying home. Uh, that's this Friday night. If you need information, come and see them. Now, we, uh, we human beings, we're, we're kind of strange, right? Have y'all figured that out? Oh, Applebee's. Uh, fundraiser for the youth, Applebee's breakfast this coming Saturday, 8 to 10. I don't know. Breakfast. Now, that kind of points out that we're, cra- we're eccentric people, right? We're, we, we just are eccentric. Thank you, James, for that illustration. Um, anybody in your family weird? Okay, I, I just have to, we have to get to a point where we, where we connect a little bit. So you've got weird people in your family. Um, I've got weird people in my family. I think a lot of people describe me as, as the weird person in our family, but that's all right. Yeah. We love to celebrate milestones, right? Have you noticed that plants and animals, they don't celebrate milestones? Um, we have this cat named Sylvester. He's the eldest of our cats. And Sylvester never puts up a fuss when we forget his birthday every year. And Janie said, I think it was in May. We forget Sylvester's birthday every year, and he never makes a fuss. But humans aren't like that, are they? My best friend is named Kevin Simmons. He lives in Lindale, Texas. He's a coach up there. His birthday is August 13th, 10 days before my birthday. So you would think it's really easy for me to remember. He, he was the best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. You'd think it'd be real easy for me to remember his birthday, right? The last three or four years, I've forgotten Kevin's birthday. And it was during two-a-days and stuff like that. And, you know, that's not an excuse for me. That's an excuse for him. And all those times I'd forget, I'd remember afterwards, and I'd think, oh, Lord, please let him forget. Please let him forget. No, every year he would call me on August 23rd, and he'd say, hey, happy birthday. I was like, thanks. He's like, you're a punk, man. I'm such a better friend than you. I remember yours. Yours is after mine, sucker, and you forget and all that stuff, and I'm such a better friend. And that so makes me appreciate my cat. Because Sylvester never complains. And my best friend always whines, and I hope he listens to this. And I'm going to try this year to remember his birthday and call him and tell him happy birthday. But we as humans, we want to celebrate those milestones, right? Um, what about houseplants? Do houseplants celebrate milestones? I have a 100% mortality rate when it comes to taking care of plants. I'm serious. Every plant I've ever gotten, it's just a matter of time, usually a short matter of time before I kill it. And every time I kill one of my houseplants, the other plants in the neighborhood, they don't come and gather at my house and weep and mourn over the passing of the willow. They don't do that, but but humans do that. We, We celebrate anniversaries and birthdays, and sometimes we celebrate too many dating anniversaries. Man, I, I do remember my wedding anniversary, but don't ask me to remember the first kiss and what she wore the first time. I don't remember that stuff. I think that this desire to commemorate things, to remember and to celebrate, I really believe that that was put in us by God. God tells us over and over in the scripture to remember certain things. And when we did this video several years ago, we were remembering what God had done. And some of you haven't been around, you know, you haven't been around that long. We want to show you kind of the beginnings of new life. We're remembering through this video. A lot of things have changed since then, hadn't they? That's the first thing my kids said. You had hair, daddy. When we watched this the other night. Um, those were our first baptisms um, at New Life as well. And, and so I, I thought it would be appropriate to show you that. And we'll show you next week um, a video that kind of fills in the gap, goes up to about two or uh, two years ago. And-
do that, and we'll show you next week um, a video that, that we're supposed to remember milestones. And one of the ways you remember is through baptism. It represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on uh, uh, Father's Day Sunday, we're going to do a baptism here, and several of y'all have, have expressed interest in that, and, and I'll be talking to you further before then. Um, but if you're interested, you can be baptized on Father's Day as well. But God also says that we are to regularly remember him through the Lord's Supper. Well, last week we looked at baptism. Today we're going to look at the Lord's Supper. Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 2, follow along. Jesus has gathered his disciples together and they're going to have the last meal. In a couple of hours, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be drugged before an illegal court because they weren't supposed to have court at night, the, the religious leaders, but he does, they, they take him anyway there. And then he's going to be crucified the next day. But he gathers his disciples the Lord's Supper. Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 22, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, you can follow along. Jesus has gathered his disciples together and they're going to have the last meal. In a couple of hours, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be drugged before an illegal court because they weren't supposed to have court at night, the, the religious leaders, but he does, they, they take him anyway there. And then he's going to be crucified the next day. But he gathers his disciples, going to die unless you use my substitute plan. And so the people who use God's substitute plan, they had to go out, find an innocent lamb, the prize of the herd lamb. Yeah, said that right. They had to go get that lamb and they had to kill that lamb because an innocent third party, whenever um, God sent the plagues to Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. The Passover was actually that last plague. And so God said, the firstborn of every family is going to die unless you use my substitute plan. And so the people who used God's substitute plan, they had to go out, find an innocent lamb, the prize of the herd lamb. Yeah, said that right. They had to go get that lamb and they had to kill that lamb because... An innocent third party had to take the place of, of uh, the guilty sinner so that guilty sinners could go free. And so you would kill that lamb. You would, And during Old Testament times, traditionally, the priest would kill the Passover lamb at 3 p.m. on the afternoon um, uh, after they've had the Passover meal on Passover day. Uh, and, and what all the people would, would hear this shofar, the ram's horn, at 3 p.m. when the, when the priest would kill the, the, the lamb, you would hear this horn sent. At 3 p.m. when the, when the priest would kill the, the, the lamb, you would hear this horn sound over Jerusalem. Everybody would pause because they would remember in their minds, the lamb died so I didn't have to die. And then at 3.30, the priest would offer the sin sacrifices, this lamb sacrifice. Um, and, and both of those sacrifices reminded all of the Israel. Now, this is a big deal because in, Rome, uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this. The Bible tells us why the, the blood is a big deal. Sins are forgiven only if blood is poured out. It was a reminder. Blood had to be poured out. And, and what God had said back at the Passover time, the, the blood is a big deal. Sins are forgiven only if blood is poured out. It was a reminder. Blood had to be poured out. And, and what God had said back at the Passover time, then I'm going to let somebody or something else, right? Anybody with me? You don't want to spill your blood if you don't have to. So this was the plan that God had worked out. Now, on this last night before Jesus is crucified, they're getting together. They're having the Passover meal. And after the meal, Jesus does something that is radical and unique 
in, in the whole history of Israel. Jesus always did this stuff. He would always take Old Testament things and he would interpret them in a new light. You know, he would say, well, you've heard Jesus is crucified. They're getting together. They're having the Passover meal. And after the meal, Jesus does something that is radical and unique in, in the whole history of Israel. Jesus always did this stuff. He would always take Old Testament things and he would interpret them in a new light. You know, he would say, well, you've heard that if, if uh, you commit murder, then you shall die. And he says, well, if you even uh, say someone that you hate someone, you shall be guilty in the flames of hell. He'd say, um, well, you've heard that it was written that you should not commit adultery. But he said, I, if I say to you, I say to you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Jesus was always taking these things. Well, here he does something um, with this Passover that is just radical. And look what he does. Luke twenty-two nineteen and 20. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do the sacrificial system. Jesus said, I've got a new covenant that's starting when my blood is poured out. I'm going to be the human sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to pour out my blood so that if you, use, if you apply my blood to your life spiritually, then you do not have to die. And when covenant that's starting when my blood is poured out. I'm going to be the human sacrifice, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to pour out my blood so that if you use, if you apply my blood to your life, in the place of the Passover lamb, Jesus was saying this new covenant so that if you use, if you apply my blood to your life spiritually, then you do not have to die. And when John the Baptist first saw Jesus coming out to him at the river, you remember when John was going to baptize him? Do you remember what he said? He, he called out and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus was now going to be taking the place of the Passover lamb. Jesus was saying this new covenant, a brand new covenant starts with my blood. And so he says that you should drink this cup and you should uh, eat this bread, remembering what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I'm always telling you that God is a God of details. God is a God of Im- impeccable t- bread, remembering what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I'm always telling you that God is a God of details. God is a God of Im- impeccable timing. What time did I tell you that the Passover, that the priest would sacrifice the Passover lamb? 3 p.m. Luke 23, 44 through uh, 46. It was about noon. And the whole land became dark until what time? Three o'clock in the afternoon because the sun did not shine. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now, this was a big deal. The curtain in the temple separated normal human beings, everybody except the high priest, and he could only go in one day a year if he did everything right. The the, uh, veil in the temple separated God from normal people. And at this point, at three o'clock in the afternoon, after it had been dark for three hours... The Bible tells us that, and, and eyewitnesses tell us, that the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. This was a huge veil, thick veil. Nobody was going to go in there and rip it. And if they did, they'd start cutting from the bottom. God rips it at 3 p.m., rips it from the top to the bottom. Why would he do it at 3 p.m.? Look at the rest of the verse. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, I give you my life. After Jesus said this, he did what? 
He died at 3 p.m. At the time that the priest at the temple was sacrificing the Passover lamb, at the time that the shofar was being blown, and everybody in Jerusalem was pausing and thinking, oh, the lamb has been slain, an innocent third party has been slain so that I don't have to die, the guilty can go free. Jesus Christ gave his life at that moment and became the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, Jesus said, do this to remember me. He didn't tell us how often to do it. He said, every time you do this, do this to remember me. And I bet his disciples, those people who were following him, the closest ones to him, I bet they were thinking, why does Jesus want us to remember him? How could we forget the miracle worker, the water walker? How could we forget this faith-talking dude? We'll never forget him. But Jesus, rem- Jesus knew his disciples better than they knew themselves. And Jesus knows you and me better than we know ourselves. And he knows we tend to forget. He knew there would come a time when, when we'd been walking with Christ for so long that we would forget about the impact of his death, his burial, and his resurrection on our lives. And so he instituted this to tell us to remember. And there's some things that, that he wants us to do. He doesn't say to remember with the Lord's Supper every day, every week, every month, or even every year. He just says, as often as you do it, do it regularly, remember me. And in a couple moments, that's what we're going to do. But I've got to give you some instructions first. Don't ever come to the Lord's Supper table with a bad attitude. Because the condition of your heart is what determines whether you should take the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. We're going to look at some things that you need to reflect on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that some of you are sick, some of you are dead, have died, because you came to the Lord's Supper table with a bad attitude. All right? So this is serious business. Not something we just tack on at the end of a service. This is serious business. And so Jesus tells us to remember we're to reflect on certain things. Well, three things that I've I've put down for you on your guide. First thing you do when you take the the Lord's Supper, communion, is you reflect on Jesus' death. So I tell people what we're supposed to do is look back. The first thing we're supposed to do when we come to the Lord's Supper table is look back to the cross. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus called himself the bread of life. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was equal with God. He is God. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He was born in the place called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And so Jesus says, I have come to be the ultimate spiritual food. And so when you come and you take the bread, you're remembering that Jesus said he's the bread of life. It's representative uh, of him. You matter to him. He died for you. And look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. When we ask the Lord's blessing upon our drinking from the cup of wine at the Lord's table, this means, doesn't it, that, we, that all who drink it are sharing together the blessing of Christ's blood. And when we break off pieces of the bread from the loaf to eat there together, this shows that we are sharing together in the benefits of his body. This word sharing is the whole, is the exact word where we get communion from. Whenever I take communion or the Lord's Supper, it says that I am sharing in what he did on the cross. I'm sharing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is necessary for me to be born into God's family, for me to be adopted. You need two birthdays. You need a physical birthday. You need a spiritual birthday. And when I come to the Lord's Supper table, I'm remembering Jesus' death and I'm remembering my spiritual birthday, the day that I was adopted into his family. And, you know, when when you go to 
um, the doctor, a lot of times they'll do blood workup on you because there's life in the blood and there are answers to what's going on in your life in that blood. Well, you remember, you reflect upon the fact when you come to the Lord's Supper table that there is also spiritual life, eternal life in the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out. You remember that it cost Jesus his life, his blood, so that you could be adopted. And by the way, um, this is this could be called Eucharist or when Jesus gave up his life. And what that means is good gift. Jesus' gift of his life to you is a Eucharist, a good gift. And when I take of the Lord's Supper, what I'm saying is, not only am I part of his family, but I'm being reminded that it is my duty as part of his family to take the good gift that Jesus Christ gave to me and share it with people that aren't even here yet. Does that make sense? The Lord's Supper table is a big deal. And the Passover meal included four cups. There were four times that, that there was symbolism when they would take a cup and they would, they would seal part of the Passover meal. Well, the third cup is my favorite cup because it's called the cup of redemption. And, and it has the idea that, that one person redeems another. And actually where it's taken from is in the whole ritual ceremony where um, a young... Woo, hello. That fell off. Let's see if we can get this fixed here. I don't even know where it went. There it is. Okay. Commercial break. A young man would go and he would say to, uh, he would say to his father, I am ready to get married and I've chosen this young lady. And so what, <laughs> I'm having to put everything back in here. So I'm trying to do this at the same time. So he'd say, Dad, I've chosen this young lady and I'm going, I want to marry her. And so the dad would then get a hold of her dad and arrange a time for him and his son to come by and visit. And they would go through this whole ritual of trying to figure out how much the dowry was going to be, how much the, the groom's family was going to pay the, the bride's family because the, the father would lose her services. He would lose his, his daughter for the rest, uh, at least as a functional part of his family. She would go and join another part of the family. They would negotiate this whole deal. When they came up with the price that, that the, the, the groom's father and the bride's father agreed on, they would pay the price. Then there would be this ceremony where the groom, prospective groom, would walk up to his prospective bride. He would have a cup, and it's the cup of redemption. He would say to her, I give you my life and I ask for your life in return. Critical point. Because if she said, nah, it was off. Deal was off. But if she took the cup and she drank it, symbolically she was saying, not only do I accept your gift of your life, but by taking this cup in front of everyone, I am symbolizing that I'm giving you my life in return. Jesus comes to the third cup, the cup of redemption at the Passover meal. And he looks at this motley crew of men. There were some messed up dudes in that group. I could relate to them. I think that's why I like the Bible, because I see me in the Bible with this motley group of men. He comes to this third cup, the cup of redemption. Everybody there knows. They're good Jews. They know what the cup of redemption is. Jesus stands up and he looks around and he goes... Will you marry me? Now to us, that's weird. Dudes getting married to dudes. That's just weird. Had nothing to do with a physical marriage. Had everything to do with a spiritual marriage. And the Jewish men sitting around that table got it. And I bet their eyes got big. Because they suddenly realized, oh wow, this following Jesus 
It's more than just hearing his good teaching. It's more than just seeing some miracles worked. This following Jesus is going to cost me my life. A few weeks ago, I did a video sermon and talked about, you know, we start with come and see. Come and see what Jesus is like. And, and we move to come and serve and come and give. But the very last one, the cup of redemption says that I'm supposed to come and die. I'm supposed to give my life. Two words that cannot go together if you're a Christ follower is no, Lord. Because then he's not your Lord. Then you've moved yourself into boss. When you come to Jesus Christ, and by the way, he's probably not going to send you to Africa. I don't know why people think this. Oh, if I go, if I become a Christ follower, he's going to make me a missionary. Or a preacher like Doug. And you just think, that's the worst life possible. If you think that God's going to make you miserable if you come and die, if you accept that cup and you give your life to Him, if you think He's going to make you miserable, you don't have a clue about who Jesus is, about who God is. Because the Bible tells us that God is love. Not that love is one of His characteristics, but He is the essence of love. And you can't fully... Love yourself until you know who God is and you accept who you are in Christ. You can't fully love a spouse or a friend or a relative or a child until you understand who God is and you begin to function how God created you to function. He is a God of love. And when you ask Him to be the forgiver of your sin, the leader of your life, you become a part of His family. You're exchanging your life for His. And I remember when I, when I proposed to Janie, we were at the Hemisphere Tower in, in San Antonio, and uh, I had the, I had the uh, ring in my pocket, and I'd been hiding it all night, and we sat on opposite sides of the table because I was so worried that she would figure out what was in my pocket. And so I excused myself after dinner, and I went to the bathroom, and I got the ring out, you know, and I did my little thing, rehearsing. So I come back, and I sit down on her side of the table, and I lean over and kiss her. And while I'm kissing her, I'm making sure her eyes are closed, you know, and I slide the box out there. And so later she tells me, she's thinking, I told her I was broke and I couldn't afford to, to buy her a ring, you know, this was her, her birthday. And so she thought, she, she thought it was earrings. In her mind, she's thinking, it's probably stupid earrings and I've got to be happy. You know, that's what she's thinking. And so I just sat there. And so when she finally pops it open, she sees it's a ring. She goes, I said, will you marry me? Yes! And just tears come down and we hug and we smooch. And they have some prowling video a photographer running around because dude pops up out of nowhere, starts taking pictures. It's the worst picture on the planet. Because Janie, all of the mascaras is coming down. And I'm not kidding you. I don't know what the dude said, but, but when I looked up, I went... So Janie's crying. I look scared to death. Deer in the headlights. It's a horrible picture. I'm not even sure we still have that picture. But Janie and I had talked about this, and we understood that when I asked her to marry me, it was forever. And when she said yes, it was forever. When she said yes, she was saying, I accept your offer, and I give you my life in return. And that's the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. God is saying to us, this cup is the covenant of my blood, the new covenant. This bread represents, it's not the physical, this, it doesn't turn into blood, it, it doesn't turn into bread. It is a representation of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when you partake of it, you're saying, I accept that. And I want you to remember this. Look at Matthew 26, 39. 
Jesus, this is, this is after the supper, after the meal, he's gone out and he's going to pray. He went on a little further and fell face down on the ground praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Jesus understood what that cup cost. He said, God, this is so bad, he starts sweating drops of blood. He says, if it's possible, God, let this cup, let it happen another way. And then look what he says at the end. Yet I want your will, not mine. Jesus realized the high price he was going to pay so that you and I could be adopted into the family. So this cup of redemption, the blood could be poured out. And there's always a high price. If you receive some spiritual benefit, somebody's blood has been poured out. If you're sitting in this service and your children are back somewhere else and you don't have to worry about your children, there are people back there in that in the children's service, pouring out their life and their blood for you and for your children so that you can sit in here and you can be fed. If you ever hear anything in a message that makes sense and clicks, the Holy Spirit is taking what I'm doing and and applying that to your life. Somebody, (laughs) me, has been poured out during the week so that you could hear from God. If you're sitting in a comfortable place, and if you're sitting, every place we've ever been, we've had to remodel. I'm, I'm done with that. I want to start on our new building from the ground up. No more remodeling. I still hurt. I still have injuries from the last time we remodeled. I don't want to do that anymore. But if you're sitting in a place and you're hearing the message of Jesus Christ and you're tasting the bread of life and you're seeing that it's good, somebody has been poured out so that you can receive the benefit. And when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're saying, I realize, Jesus, that you poured out your blood. I realized that someone has been paying bills for a long time so that I could come and I could hear about this. And so when you come to the table today, you take that cup and you eat that bread. You are saying, I accept who you are, Jesus Christ. I accept the offer of your life and I give you my life in return. So you reflect on the fact that it was a high cost that that Jesus paid. You reflect on his death. You reflect on the second thing, your life. My life. I reflect on my life. I'm supposed to look at myself and examine myself. Look at Romans 12.1. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to His service and pleasing to Him. This is the true worship that you should offer. Twice in this verse, it talks about worship and it uses the word offer. True worship has nothing to do with me except that I offer myself to God. A lot of people will leave church services and they'll say, oh, the worship was good today. Worship is not about you. Worship is about God. If we worship God, then worship is good. Whether you get a benefit from it, that's just kind of a side benefit. It's all about God. And and God says, if you offer yourself to me, that makes me smile. That makes him happy. That's true worship. And if you offer yourself to anything other than to God, it's called spiritual adultery. Ten Commandments says, no other gods. Spiritual adultery is when anything in your life, any person, anything, any job, any toy has a higher priority than God. That means you're offering your life to something that's counterproductive. This idea goes back to this uh, cup of redemption, 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 the cup of redemption. I'm accepting what you offer to me, God, and I'm giving you my life in return. So God's asking for your life when you come to the table today. 95% is not enough. 
I didn't ask Janie for 360 days out of the year. The other five days I was going to party and chase women. She'd have laughed. Actually, she wouldn't have laughed. She'd have smacked me and left because nobody's going to take that. 99% is not enough. God says, I want it all. And don't you think, don't, don't think that God is this angry God who's going to try to force you to do what he wants you to do. You don't understand God. God is a loving God who pursues you. He's relentless in that pursuit. And when he gets your attention, and sometimes it takes us longer, some of us longer than others to, to pay attention. When God gets your attention, he offers the cup. And he says, I love you. And I want to be in charge in your life. I want to do incredible things. Will you accept the cup? A.W. Tozer said this, The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work in us. We're still committing spiritual adultery. If you're stuck, if you're in a rut, if you're feeling far from God, the first place to look, and I'm not saying this is all the case because we got the book of Job. Job wasn't far from God, but he felt far from God. First place to look is, have I offered myself to anything other than God? When we come to the Lord's table, we're to remember that we are not God and never will be. When we try to be like God, that's when we end up being most like Satan because that's what Satan wanted to be, was like God. Now, here's, here's a couple of things you need to do before you come to the table today. Take spiritual inventory. Look at your life. How are you doing spiritually? Are you closer to God now than you were a month ago, six months ago, a year ago? Are you growing spiritually? Is there any unconfessed sin? Do you have a problem with a neighbor, a coworker, maybe a, a spouse or a girlfriend or a peer? There's one time in the Bible when it says it's okay to leave church. That's when you are worshiping and you remember that someone has something against you. Jesus said, get up. Leave your gift there, by the way. Go and make things right. He says, then come back and offer your gift. So if at this time, when we, when we begin to do a self-examination, if you remember that you've got broken relationships, it is appropriate to quietly leave and go make those relationships right. Then you come back and worship. So we reflect on Jesus' death, we reflect on our lives, and finally we reflect on Jesus' return. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're preaching a sermon that not only was Jesus real, did, not only did he die and he was buried and he was raised again, but he's coming back. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. The whole key today, whether you should take the Lord's Supper or not, is the condition of your heart. If in your heart, if you do this self-examination and you feel like you are... Um, right in standing with God. There's no unconfessed sin that you think of. There's no relationships that are jacked up. That, I mean, there's always going to be those. But if you've made efforts to, to repair those relationships and you feel right before God, then feel free to come to the tables, three tables. But if in your heart, when you're praying and you're saying, God, is it okay for me to come and take the Lord's Supper? Because I do not want to profane your name and I don't want to bring judgment on myself and on this church. If when you're praying, you feel like you shouldn't, you sit there. Now, the tables are also for Christians. If you're a non-Christian, we give you the freedom just to sit there. There's going to be some Christians sitting there as well, not taking the Lord's Supper today. I feel confident. So you just sit there 
and enjoy what's going on. Um, let's pray together. And, and I'm going to show you a video when we finish this prayer. And you can go ahead and come during the video. Just go ahead and take the cup. You can drink it. Go ahead and take the bread. And then we'll finish up when, when everybody's done at the end.